If you would open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. And today we're going to be in verses 17 through 20. Matthew 5, 17 through 20. In A.D. 85, there was a man born by the name of Marcion who lived until A.D. 160. Uh, If you've studied any church history at all, you've heard of this guy. Uh, He was a prominent figure in early church history, but for all the wrong reasons. Uh, Marcion was a heretic, and I don't use that word lightly. A lot of people today throw that word around for even the slightest doctrinal disagreements. But in Marcion's case, he was actually denounced as a heretic by what are known as the early church fathers. So, what was his heretical crime? Well, Marcion taught that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, the one that that he taught Jesus or sent Jesus into the world. He taught that those were two completely separate gods. Uh, Marcion dispensed with the Old Testament altogether and actually made this list known as Marcion's Canon, uh, which contained only Paul's letters and a shortened version of Luke. Uh, That was the text that he was putting forth, uh, saying this is what, what the Bible should be. Uh, In Marcion's mind, the Old Testament had absolutely nothing to do with the New Testament and with Christ himself. The rest, as they say, is history. Marcion was condemned as a heretic. Uh, The Bible you hold in your hand today was actually affirmed and the authority of the Old Testament joyously upheld. Uh, Marcion couldn't have been farther from the truth. Uh, It's really a fascinating history when you begin to study it, uh, understanding the ins and outs of what Marcion did and taught, and specifically canonization, or how we got the Bible that we hold in our hands today. But more than just looking at the history, what does Jesus say? Uh, Did Jesus claim to be starting a new religion altogether uh, with new sacred writings, or Did he teach something else? Uh, Just to give a a very quick book recommendation, highly, highly recommend this book, Why Trust the Bible. Uh, It kind of goes through a lot of the history uh, of how we got the Bible that we hold in our hands today and and why it's trustworthy, why it's true, why it's it's without error. Um, So highly recommend this book. Um, We've got them in the table in the Fellowship Hall. You can grab one for free. I'd love, love to even discuss this with you. But our focus today uh, is on Matthew 5, 17 through 20, looking at what Jesus says about all of this. So let's dive into the text. Matthew 5, verse 17 through 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. 
But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So before we dive in, uh, I want to quickly remind us of the context and where we've been in this Sermon on the Mount. For the first 12 verses, Jesus reminded us of who we are as kingdom citizens. He taught eight heart postures that's true of every real Christian. It's almost like a parent kind of taking their child aside before they, they go out to college and say, say, saying, before you go off, I want to remind you of who you are. Then in the next verses, Jesus commissioned us as salt and light to go out and to represent him in the world. Now, uh, while this section that, that we're looking at today, it's all part of the Sermon on the Mount, this is actually a new section uh, that's kind of an introduction and sets up the rest of, of chapters 5 through 7. So if we fail to understand verses 17 through 20, we'll misunderstand everything else that Jesus has to say coming forward. And I just want to point this out, that Jesus thought that this was important. Uh, correctly understanding the Old Testament and its relationship to the New Testament is crucial for all of Christian life. Uh, this wasn't just Jesus giving an academic lecture here. He, he knew that there were people that, that, he, that are listening to him going through hard times. He knew that there were people that, that are listening that are struggling financially. He knew that there were people wrestling with their faith. He knew that there were marital struggles. And he intentionally teaches this section. Why do I point that out? Well, because this isn't just a teaching for academics. It's truth for you. No matter what you're going through this very moment, to truly understand what Jesus says here is good news. To understand how the law relates to Christian life is vital and not irrelevant. Jesus isn't aloof here. He's speaking to you and he's speaking to me. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace that we often sing, he once wrote in a letter to a friend and he said this, he says, ignorance of the nature and design of the law is at the bottom of most of our religious mistakes. Ignorance of the nature and design of the law is at the bottom of most of our religious mistakes. I agree with him on that. Uh, we talked a lot about this as we went through Galatians this year, if you remember. There's two pitfalls, right? On one side is legalism, or the belief that, that law-keeping earns God's love and acceptance. On the other side is what's called antinomianism, which says that the law is basically pointless, uh, that we can live any way we want to because of grace. Both of those are huge, huge mistakes. So, what does Jesus teach? Here are three points for this morning. Number one, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Number two, Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament. And number three, exceptional righteousness. So, point one, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Look with me again at verse 17. Jesus jumps in here by saying, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So 
What's Jesus saying here? Well, first we've got to understand that the phrase law and prophets is kind of a, a, a way of saying the Old Testament. Uh, the first five books of the Bible are, are what is known as the Torah. Uh, that's the, the Hebrew word for law. Um, another shorthand term that's used to describe uh, the law or the first five books is just simply saying Moses. So we read that earlier in Luke chapter 24. Uh, Luke 24 verse 27 says, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So Jesus here from, from the get-go is saying, don't think that I've come to dispense with the Old Testament. Uh, up to this point in the Sermon on the Mount, think about it. Jesus has been describing kingdom citizens in, in multiple different ways. And up to this point, he hasn't mentioned a thing about the law at all. So you can kind of imagine his hearers kind of on edge. Is, is he going to say something about the law? Is, is he an antinomian? Does he even care about the scriptures? He hasn't said anything yet. I want us to remember that some of Jesus' audience here would have been Pharisees, who, at least on the surface, had a very, very, very high view of the law. So he says this to them, Don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. It's actually the exact opposite of that. He says, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So, the next logical question is this. If you're not abolishing, what does it mean to fulfill the law and the prophets? What does Jesus mean when he says he came to fulfill the Old Testament? This is another one of those bombshell questions that we could spend a whole sermon series on, but I'm going to try to tackle it in one small point. So, I'm going to try to give us just some brief truths, but I'm telling you, you could spend years answering this question. And the more you dive in, the more amazed you'll be. So, what does it mean that Jesus fulfilled the law and the prophets? First, and most importantly, Jesus fulfilled the law with his life. Jesus fulfilled the law in his life. He obeyed the law fully and completely every single second of his life. Again, you could study this for the rest of your life, but I want to just give you a quick look at, let's just take the Ten Commandments for an example. How did he fulfill those? So Exodus chapter 20, uh, this is where the, the Ten Commandments are, are located. So Exodus chapter 20, here we go. I'm just going to try to rip through these one after another. Commandment 1. You shall have no other gods before me. Jesus kept and fulfilled the first commandment. He brought glory to God the Father the entire time that he was on earth. I think of John 17 verse 4. Jesus says, I glorified you, speaking to the Father, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He feared, believed, and trusted his Father in every single way. Hebrews 5, 7 through 10 says this, says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. 
being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Not only did he trust the Father, he was zealous for the Father's glory. John chapter 2, verse 17. His disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. That's describing Jesus. He obeyed his Father's commandments in all things. John 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, Jesus says, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So he kept commandment one perfectly. Commandment two, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under, under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Jesus kept and fulfilled the second commandment. No one ever worshipped like Christ did. He read and preached and prayed and sung God's word with a pure heart completely. He condemned false worship. And he was the visible image of God. Commandment three. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. As God's image bearer, Jesus perfectly revealed the Father. He only spoke the words that the Father gave to him. He never took God's name in vain, but only spoke truth about the Father and only brought glory to him by his life. He kept the third commandment. Commandment four, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is with, within your gates. Jesus kept and fulfilled the fourth commandment. In Luke chapter 4, verse 16, it says, He, speaking of Jesus, came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day. In addition, uh, as the Lord of the Sabbath, he secured our eternal Sabbath rest through his death on the cross, resting in the grave on the Sabbath, and resurrection on the Lord's day. Commandment five, honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. He kept and fulfilled the fifth commandment. He always did the things that were pleasing to his heavenly father. Even on the cross, as he's dying, he took care of his mother. He fulfilled the fifth commandment. Commandment six, you shall not murder. Jesus preserved life in every way, both physically and spiritually. Commandment seven, you shall not commit adultery. Christ, the, the husband, laid down his life for his bride. His thoughts and interactions were always pure with members of the opposite sex. Commandment eight, you shall not steal. We know that, that Jesus gave freely. He opposed robbery as we see in the temple in John chapter two. He who was rich became poor so that we in our poverty might become rich, according to 2 Corinthians 8, 9. Commandment nine, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. Jesus always spoke the truth. He stood for truth because he is the truth. He didn't flatter or conceal the truth in any way. Finally, commandment 10. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. 
You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. So Jesus kept and fulfilled even the ten com- Tenth Commandment. The one who owns heaven and earth is the one who relied on the Father for everything. He never coveted, but instead patiently received his full inheritance through the cross. If you want to know more about that, there's a whole article on Reformation 21 that's really helpful and a lot more even detailed than that, showing how Christ fulfilled the Ten Commandments. So what's my point? Why, Why even read all of that? Well, Jesus fulfilled the law by being completely obedient to it in every single way. Uh, Just a a side note, in the Ten Commandments, we've just been talking about the moral law. But Jesus also fulfilled what's known as the ceremonial law. I don't have time to dive into that this morning, but here's the truth. Uh, All of the ceremonial laws were shadows or, or types that pointed to Jesus. All of the daily and weekly and yearly sacrifices found their real meaning in Christ. They were pointing towards him. They found their fulfillment in him. So Jesus fulfilled the law, both both moral and ceremonial, in all of his life. On top of that, I would just point out that he did all of that with joy. The law wasn't a burden to Jesus. It it was written on his heart, and he fully desired to do God's will. So Jesus fulfilled the law in all of his life. Second, Jesus fulfilled the law in his doctrine through teaching it fully and truly. This is huge. See, the Pharisees thought that they were actually upholding the law, but they weren't. They were actually gutting it in the things that they were teaching. They kept the law on the outside, but their hearts were far from it. That's why in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we'll see Jesus saying this phrase over and over and over again. You've heard it said, but I say to you, to truly keep the law and fulfill it meant not only to keep the law externally, but to do it with the right heart. That's what we see Jesus teaching. And I love this quote by Sinclair Ferguson, he says this. He says, it was only in the exposition of Jesus in Matthew 5, 21 through 48, for example, that the real power of God's law could be felt. Jesus did not weaken the law, he says. On the contrary, he let it out of the cage in which the Pharisees had imprisoned it, allowing it to pounce on our secret thoughts and motives and to tear to pieces our bland assumption that we are able to keep it in our own strength. So Jesus fulfilled the law in his life, but he also fulfilled it in his teaching, taking it a step past what the Pharisees were saying externally. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Third, Jesus fulfilled the law in his death. Uh, The law was absolutely clear about God's holiness and, and that the penalty of breaking the law was death. So Think about that. Jesus couldn't fulfill the law and offer forgiveness without bearing the penalty of breaking the law in our place before the judgment seat of God. Jesus fulfilled the law by going to the cross and making full atonement for sin. Anyone who turns away from sin and believes in Jesus, trusting in in that his atonement is all that you need, 
will be made right before God. And in that, the righteous requirement of God is fulfilled. You see this? The law expresses both the character of God and his will for man's life. It exposes the character of man and shines a light on the character of salvation. That's what the intent of the law was. If Jesus were to merely throw the law overboard, cast it aside, he would either make himself unholy or God the Father who righteously wrote the law. He would confuse man about man and he would confuse God's plan of salvation. Instead, instead of throwing the law overboard, in his life and teaching and death, Jesus completely fulfills the law. Now, check this out. Romans chapter 8 is absolutely amazing. Uh, We read verses 1 through 4 earlier as our assurance of pardon, but I want to read it for us again. Romans 8, 1 through 11 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. And here we go, verse 4. In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law, indeed it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Do you see verse 4, what verse 4 says there? Because Jesus died on the cross... The righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in who? Us. The good news is that Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement of the law. And that when we repent and believe, we get credit for his righteousness. But this text in Romans 8 verse 4 goes a step farther. Paul says that in Christ, we fulfill the righteous requirement of the law by walking in the Spirit. In the New Covenant, the law is now written on our hearts, and it's not a burden to obey. We walk in the Spirit. Antinomianism, or, or, or just jettisoning, or chunking out holiness, isn't an option for anyone who truly believes the gospel. We're called to obedience, and we're called to holiness. Not so that God will love us or accept us more, but because he already does in Christ. Jesus fulfilled the law, but he also fulfilled the prophets. Very quickly, in one point, it's vital for us to understand not only what it means to fulfill the law, but also what it means to fulfill the prophets. 
Again, you could study this piece for the rest of your life, and you should. It's truly amazing. Another book recommendation, this little book on biblical theology, how the church faithfully teaches the gospel. Biblical theology is kind of the study of what we're talking about here. How did Jesus fulfill all of the promises in the Old Testament? Uh, as we look over the storyline of Scripture, how is the Old Testament about Jesus? So when you're reading Leviticus, um, what does it look like for you to see Christ in Leviticus? That's what this book and other books on biblical theology are all about. Uh, one of the, the key themes of the book of Matthew is exactly that. Uh, it's looking at fulfillment. In other words, uh, Matthew repetitively tells us, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord has said through the prophet. Uh, we're in Matthew chapter 5, and up to this point, he's already said this five or six times in his gospel. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord said through the prophet. Well, starting all the way back in Genesis 3.15, and going all the way through the Old Testament, Jesus fulfilled every single prophecy that was ever made about him. Not a single word failed to pass. Every single promise was answered in Christ. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Paul says it this way. Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him, referring to Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. There's so much more we could say there, but we've got to quickly move on. So point one, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Point two, Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament. Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament. So building on what we've already said, look with me at verse 18. He goes on and he says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, in other translations, here's, here's how it reads. New American Standard, verse 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Uh, maybe... You're more familiar with the King James. That, that's how I've, I've always heard it in my mind uh, when I think about this verse. He says, Till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. So what Jesus is teaching here is really, really important. And iota is the smallest letter in the Greek alphabet. But Jesus doesn't stop there, does he? He says, let's go smaller than that. Not even a dot or a stroke. This word for, for dot or stroke or tittle, it means the smallest part of a letter. In the English alphabet, we have this kind of thing, right? We say dotting our I's and crossing our T's. That's what Jesus is saying here. This is where we have to be really, really, really careful as Christians. I hope that, that none of us are in danger of taking Marcion's position and throwing out all of the Old Testament altogether, but sometimes we do that functionally, don't we? Read your Old Testament. Jesus is saying here that it's vital, down to the smallest part. 
Understand the magnitude of what Jesus is saying here. He's not just saying, well, yeah, the Bible, it's generally true in the big picture. And you can kind of discard the specifics. That's not what he's saying at all. No, he's saying all of it down to the smallest letter and the smallest stroke. None of it will pass until all is accomplished. We've talked about this before, but this kind of thing gets glorious in the New Testament. Paul believed what Jesus said here. We see Paul making huge theological arguments based on the inspiration of Hebrew grammar. In Galatians 3, 16, Paul says this, Galatians 3, verse 16, he says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, singular. It does not say, and to offsprings, plural, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. Paul rightly believed that the Old Testament was inspired and without error down to the smallest letter and the smallest part, even the grammar. Not just big picture truths, everything. And he learned that from Jesus. Another common mistake that's very common is this. How many of you have ever heard of what are called red letter Christians? Uh, If you're unfamiliar with with modern translations of the Bible, many modern translations have the direct words of Jesus in the New Testament written in red. These red-letter Christians say, well, we're just going to focus on Jesus' direct words, and that's all. These are good-hearted people and well-meaning, and I'm not, don't hear me saying if you have a red-letter Bible, you should go chunk it. It's really helpful in many ways. These are good-hearted people and well-meaning, but they're actually undercutting Jesus himself by their position. Look, Reading Jesus' red-letter words and obeying them is a good thing. We should do that. But the rest of the Bible, down to the smallest letter and the smallest stroke, is vital too. When we start picking and choosing which parts of the Bible we want to follow and which parts we want to ignore or neglect, we're in serious, serious trouble. What that leads to is creating a God in your image. You won't be following the God of the Bible, but you'll be following a God that you've kind of hodgepodge together out of the pieces of the Bible that you like. Look at the the stinging critique Jesus gives in verse 19. He says, therefore, so it's just said all of that in verse 18, and he says, therefore, Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We see this kind of thing all over the place in our culture right now, don't we? People loving parts of the Bible or loving the big picture truths of the Bible and yet relaxing certain commandments and truths teaching others to do the same. I think about people like Jen Hatmaker or Matthew Vines here. They're trying to somehow make God's ethic better by relaxing his commands. That's absurd. You can't make God's ethic better. 
He's perfect. Don't think that you have the authority to edit God. Don't relax even the least of his commandments and teach others to do the same. Don't fall into that trap. The whole Bible is authoritative, inspired, inerrant, and sufficient for all of life. Look at Paul's closing words to the Ephesian elders. He's teaching all of these elders and pastors in Ephesus. In Acts 20, verse 27 through 28, Acts chapter 20, verse 27 through 28, this is his closing words to all of these pastors. He says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. He declared to these pastors, these elders, the whole counsel of God. He didn't relax any of it. Now, a quick application point. How how do we know if we're relaxing God's word or not? Well, implied in Jesus' statement is that we actually know God's word. It's easy to relax God's commandments if we don't know them, right? Uh, recently, Kyle has been telling me about this game called rugby that he plays. I don't know rugby at all. I don't know how you score. I don't know the rules. I understand football rules, but not rugby rules. If I were to go out with Kyle this week and play rugby, I'd probably be relaxing the rules left and right because I don't know them. Christians. Uh, The application point here is this. Read your Bibles. Read the Old Testament. Read with the lens that Jesus gives us here. It's all about him. Second, so so first the application point is read the Old Testament, read your Bibles. Second, I want us to see the call to obedience here. There's this emphasis in verse 19 on doing. Whoever teaches others to do the same, that's the negative side of it. And then, but whoever does them, does the commandments and teaches them. Uh, We're not just called to know the commands of Christ. We are called to that, but we're called to do them. We're called to obey them as a reflection of God's character and his holiness. I love the language in James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 24. James says, but be doers of the word. I love that. And not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I can't stress to you how amazing uh, the Bible is when you really begin to read it and study it. It's not boring. It's mind-blowing, actually. It's life-giving. It's truth. Read it. Study it. Obey it. Teach others to do the same. So number one, Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets. Number two, Jesus affirms all of the Old Testament. Number three, exceptional righteousness. So with the the time we have left, I want you to look with me at verse 20. 
Jesus concludes by saying, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. I titled this sermon, Gospel Guardrails, because I believe that's exactly what Jesus is doing here. Uh, We've already seen him kind of put up a guardrail that keeps us away from antinomianism or chunking out the law. He says it's really important. He shows us how vital the law is and how he upheld it and fulfilled it and loved the law. The other mistake on the other side of the cliff is not antinomianism, but legalism. Or the belief that you can somehow earn God's favor or love and good standing through your own righteousness and law-keeping. So what does Jesus say here? It's important to understand that the scribes and Pharisees were were seen during their day as the consummate law keepers uh, of their day. Uh, According to one commentator, there was this saying going around in Israel during Jesus's day that if only two men go to heaven, certainly it's a scribe and a Pharisee. That was a common saying during Jesus's day. But Jesus is saying Even they're not good enough. What Jesus is saying here is not just that the scribes and Pharisees have have kind of set some sort of a righteousness bar and you have to do better than that. That's not what he's saying. What he's actually saying is you need a righteousness of a different kind altogether. It's like how a Ferrari exceeds a minivan. It's apples and oranges. It's something exceedingly different. Well, What kind of righteousness did the Pharisees have then and the scribes? This is where other texts of scripture can help us out. Matthew chapter 23, verse 25 through 28. Matthew chapter 23, verses 25 through 28. Verse 25, Jesus says to them, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. What a difference between the inside and the outside, right? Verse 26, he goes on, he says, You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. More of the same. Then, Jesus couldn't be any more clear. Verses 27 and 28, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also appear, appear, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So uh, the Pharisees and the scribes' righteousness is outward righteousness, but their hearts are far, far from God. They're legalists in the true sense of the word. And I want us to understand this, that that obedience to God is not legalism. Mere outward obedience with a begrudging heart is. Obedience to what God's word says isn't legalism. Adding to God's word and telling others to do the same is. In our passage, Jesus is saying that the Pharisees and scribes have one kind of righteousness outward righteousness. But to enter the kingdom of God, you'll need real righteousness, a righteousness that exceeds mere external righteousness. 
And here's the problem. According to God's word, no one is righteous. Not one, according to Romans 3. There once was a Pharisee who was more righteous than all the other Pharisees. In pretty much every regard, he was better than all of them. You know him as Paul. And look at what Paul says here. This is amazing. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 9. This is what Paul says. He says, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And here we go, verse 9. And be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. This is the righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the Pharisees and scribes. It's the righteousness of Christ. He obeyed God both externally and internally. He obeyed God and did it with joy in his heart. He was 100% righteous. And the Bible teaches us that when we turn from sin and trust in Jesus, his righteousness gets credited to us. An alien righteousness that's not our own, but comes through faith in Christ. That's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the gospel that's not legalism and not antinomianism. Neither of those are going to get you into heaven. The gospel will. Trusting Christ and him alone, who fulfilled the law and the prophets. That's our only hope. If you're here today and you've never trusted in Christ, we invite you to do so today. He's at the center of all of history. Everything points to him. He's the only true righteousness that leads to heaven and eternal life. In closing, I want to make one more final plea to Christians. Don't make the mistake of hitting one of these guardrails head on. If you're tempted to to sin that grace may increase, remember that Christ fulfilled the law perfectly. Remember that he held the law in high regard and taught us to follow him in holiness. If you're a recovering legalist, remember that your external righteousness can never get you into the kingdom of heaven. Rest in your righteous standing in Christ. Lean into grace and live in light of that. Read God's word. All of it, the law, the prophets, the writings, the New Testament, study it, obey it, teach others to do the same. Let's pray.